Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I am talking with Lieutenant Paramedic Andre Perez. He is a 22-year, well, almost 22-year veteran of Orange County Fire Rescue, getting hired back in April of 1999. I think you did have some uh, previous fire department experience before coming to Orange County. Is that I right? I did. I did. Yep. I worked at a small department in Palm Beach County called Pahokee, and I was there about six and a half years. Did you just make that name up? Pahokee? <laughs> I did not, but they no longer exist. So um, <laughs> they still have the history, and uh, they were actually taken over by Palm Beach County several years ago. All right. So you have been the president of uh, Local 2057 for how many years now? Um, I've been president for about seven years now. And that's in totality because I think you took a little bit of a break, right? Yeah, um, I call it a, I call it um, timeout, if you will. <laughs> I, uh, I served one term and our terms are three years and um, I ran for re-election and did not win. So I was out for about a year and a half. Um, that person ended up having to step down and I was asked to come back. And um, so I came back and have been president ever since. And you worked your way as, you know, I think you started off as just a union rep and then became secretary and then vice president and so on and so forth. Yep. Um, so started out, um, actually was being precepted by Jason Brown to become a paramedic. And uh, he worked his way to become the union vice president at the time. Um, so he would talk to me about all the cases and things like that. And he actually recruited me to be a staff representative. So he hired me on as staff. Um, then uh, after a few years, I became the secretary in 2007. That's an elected position. Um, after five years, almost completing my second term, um, decided to run for president. So. Um, in 2012 is when I first became president. Altogether, it's been about 19 years working for the union in some capacity. So staff, uh, secretary, and then president. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought for some reason that you had uh, actually served as vice president, but when you were elected president, who was your vice president? Daryl McChrystal. That's right. Daryl McChrystal was actually uh, the force that held down the union um, in the sense of creating stability when we didn't have a stable um, uh, person at the president level. So, um, and what I mean by that is we just had, you know, some very short-term 
uh, presidents at the time and Daryl McChrystal as the vice president always stepped up to be the interim. And uh, he always helped the incoming president um, with advice, leadership, and those types of things to make sure that the ship didn't sink. Yeah, he's uh, he's somewhat of a legend in the the state of Florida as far as unions go. Like what? I know he held a position at the state level. Yeah, he was um, he was our district vice president at the state level. Um, here covering the all the locals in central florida um i believe he served for two uh maybe two and a half terms um at that level and uh it is important to note that while he was serving the vice president at the state level he was still always the vice president um here with our local 2057. yeah it's pretty incredible the the one thing that i wanted to get into at some point is recognize how much the the international and the the state level um, the role that they play in developing their union officers at conventions and or conferences that sort of thing the different leadership classes and um, i know working in the union for 19 years the amount of classes that you've had to have gone to is pretty extensive. Yeah, I will have to give the international credit and um, even our state level piggybacks off of the international's classes um, as we do here in the local level. Um, our union at the international level um, probably provides the best education to its members and it definitely pays off, especially when you have, uh, you know, termination cases and things like that, uh, labor relations um, so every convention um, that we go to, there's always some form of education. Um, the convention may last two days, and then we may have two or three days of classes. Um, and, you know, those classes are covered, you know, by our, um, uh, not only our dues, but the uh, registration fees for the actual convention. So we like to take advantage of those things. Um, Another thing that's very important, not only the leadership side, but the health and safety side as well. They uh, offer equally as many classes. So definitely attended a lot of classes and uh, definitely tried to pass that on to newer e-board members so we can keep it going here at the local level. Awesome. Well, I want to dive in a little bit to, you know, just really your history and your experiences that have helped you develop um, as not only a fire officer, but a, a union officer. Um, so let's go, let's go back to your beginnings. Um, where, where were you born? Where did you grow up at? Tell me a little bit about your, your life growing up. All right. Um, not really too interesting other than um, I was born in Frankfurt, West Germany. My dad was in the military, and uh, from there, we were there several years, and from there, we went to Spain. I uh, went to kindergarten and first grade in Spain uh, before we uh, came back to the United States. So when we came back to the United States, we landed in South Carolina, uh, was there for a couple of years, and uh, my parents ended up getting divorced. Um, my mom came down here to Florida, 
we stayed with some friends. Um, she was a single parent with three kids, uh, three young kids at the time, and um, basically been in Florida the entire time since. Um, grew up here in Orlando, and uh, I think my fire service career began in Pahokee. Well, actually, be I began as a volunteer for Osceola County. Uh, volunteered for about two years. I uh, wanted to see if I liked the fire service or not before I committed to actually going to school. Um, so I did and ended up going to school and I applied to every state, every department in the state. And I said I was just going to go to the very first place that called me. Uh, back then, I remember Orange County Fire Rescue was dealing with some layoffs. And my personal opinion or thought was um, if I'm going to be a brand new firefighter coming out of school with no experience, I'm probably um, not going to be as high ranking on a hiring list when all these uh, firefighters were being laid off from Orange County. So I got hired in Pahokee. Um, I was uh, just turning 21 years old and um, it was uh, very eye-opening to say the least. It was a five-person department, one station, we had a chief, we had a captain, and both of those positions were 40 hours. The captain was actually the fire inspector for the city. And we had three shift personnel who were the firefighters and the workforce was supplemented by on-call um, volunteers. So I was a shift firefighter. Um, I got trained by the person I was replacing. Uh, never driven an engine before, never pumped an engine before got a three-day class on how to do everything, um, at least get everything and, uh, you know, set the engine to pump and all those kinds of things. And then the volunteers came and helped out. Then I went and got my classes um, afterwards. Um, after about three years there, um, I was promoted to lieutenant. Um, our captain had left the department and uh, the fire chief had made me the lieutenant and which subsequently by default made me the fire inspector for the city. So before he did that, I ended up taking all my classes and uh, got some nice quick on the job training and uh, was Lieutenant down there for a couple of years before I got hired back up here in Orange County, came back home. Nice. So now, I've been here ever since. So you have, uh, you have two siblings and where do you rank in the hierarchy there? I'm the oldest. Okay. I actually have um, three siblings. The youngest one came after um, I came back up here. Well, actually, he's, uh, he's my half-brother, and he is now 31 years old. So three siblings. Nice. And what... Was your, your dad in the army? My dad uh, began in the army and I don't know how long he was in the army before he uh, changed over to the Navy. Okay. Now, growing up, what, uh, what was your family like? Close? I mean, what, did you have a lot of interaction with grandparents, aunts, uncles? Um, I would say we were close on my mom's side of the family. Um, even though my parents ended up getting divorced, I didn't really see any, uh, 
you know, hostility or anything like that uh, growing up. Um, but when he, when they split up, I basically lost contact with him for many years. It must have been at least 10, 15 years before we even made contact with each other again. Really not much contact with my dad's side of the family growing up. Um, basically was a mama's boy. Uh, she taught me a lot of things at a very young age. Um, taught me how to balance checkbooks, uh, about bills and all those kinds of things. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so we've been pretty close on, on my mom's side of the family. Sum it up. All right. So what are some of your fondest memories growing up? I would have to say spending time with my brothers and my sister as you know, we get older and we move away and things like that. Uh, I actually moved out when I was 18 years old. So I missed, uh, um, some of the later years of that. Um, but definitely, you know, playing outside and doing those things that a lot of the kids don't do these days, you know, yeah. um, and still kind of miss that. Where, um, so I, I grew up in central Florida as well. What high school did you go to? I went to Osceola high school for a year, um, in Kissimmee. Um, and then I went to gateway high school. Um, now I came in Orlando. I was in, in junior high school and I went to Liberty. And had I stayed in Orlando, I would have been a Colonial High School student. All right. Who or what had the biggest influence on your life's trajectory? You know, kind of what what took you uh, from high school into deciding, you know, maybe this fire service um, might be the career for me? Really, it's not a glamorous story, um, but interestingly enough, uh, I worked with, I used to work at the Olive Garden. I started there when I was 16 years old, and I was as a busboy, and one of the guys I worked with said that uh, he was going to the, to the fire academy. Uh, another guy that I worked with, I was talking about or debating on whether to go to the police academy or the fire academy. On my mom's side of the family, we have a lot of teachers and a lot of police officers in the family. So that's why I was kind of leaning towards becoming a police officer. And the one guy I worked with, he was like, you know, a lot of people don't really care for cops too much. Everybody loves the firemen. And as cliche as that, as that sounds, that basically uh, steered me in the direction of going to the fire academy. Of course, I knew nothing about the fire service and the EMS side of the service. Um, and that's why I became a volunteer first. Uh, my mom took me to a couple of fire stations in Kissimmee to talk with the guys and, and find out where, you know, where I could volunteer at. And they directed me over to Osceola County, which um, station 11 in uh, Buenaventura Lakes. And that's where I uh, interviewed with the panel to become a volunteer. And then, like I said, I was there for two years. Also did not, was not interested in the EMS side of the um, fire service, but I quickly found out that you had to at least be an EMT to be a professional firefighter. So I went ahead and did that. And then after being an EMT for 10 years, I think I got bored. And after looking around, I was honestly thinking, you know, I, I can not only do this, but I think I could do it better than some of the people that I was witnessing. And I think all of us at some point have that feeling or you have to have that sense of feeling like, hey, I, I can do that better. And that strives you to be, you know, 
better at what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, and uh, just through my own personal experience, I I know that. Well, I've I've witnessed you on calls uh, as a firefighter paramedic, as a lieutenant paramedic, um, and and I would also say that your experience as a paramedic running those larger EMS calls, I, I would imagine prepared you for your position as a lieutenant. Um, you're well-respected as a, as a paramedic, not only as a firefighter or lieutenant, but uh, okay. take my hat off to you for for being one of those paramedics that people look up to. And how, how many years did you serve as a, as a preceptor? I'm, I'm still currently a preceptor. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> let's see. I was on the department for three years before I went to paramedic school and then another three years. So probably about 16 years or so as a preceptor. Wow. Pretty cool. Um, in the fire service, we've, you know, been in, in the department for 20 something years, we all have those, those influential senior firefighters, uh, fire officers that kind of help mentor us and get us on our feet and uh, doing what we do. Who, who would you say had the biggest influence on you in your career? I would definitely have to say uh, Jason Brown. Jason Brown is a firefighter paramedic and he just recently retired. Um, but he was also uh, my preceptor and learned a lot from him um, early on. And also watched him as the vice president of the union. So I also got to see some leadership in a different role other than, you know, the normal rank structure of being an engineer, a lieutenant, a captain, or, or a battalion chief. He definitely had a, a great influence on how I control things on the scenes, how I treat people um, as patients. Um, the type of care that I want to give um, to the citizens and things like that. Um, and that was, that was a direct um, lesson that I had on a daily basis. Orange County at the time was an innovator in the in-house paramedic program. I believe in, in across the country, they were one of the first departments to have to put on their own school or their own class. Um, and I was part of that class. And at that time, they assigned the student to the preceptor for the entire year. So I had a full year of contact with uh, Jason Brown. And like I said, I learned a lot. Um, you know, these days we, a uh, student only gets really about 10 shifts or so, and then they're, you know, signed off on the protocol test and signed off on skills and, and then they're ready to go. So both on the, on the EMS side, I would have to say Jason Brown and as well on the union side early on, uh, Jason Brown. And then a couple of people have come along the way after that. At the time, Lieutenant Jose Gianza Jr. was uh, my lieutenant for a period of time. Definitely learned quite a bit from him. And uh, Lieutenant Robert Lee also, I'd like to mention as uh, one of my lieutenants, uh, both of those gentlemen uh, moved their way 
up the ranks and became chiefs and uh, and now um, Chief Guyans is the chief of another department. So that's nice to see. And I think uh, Robert Lee is, is teaching in his retirement. As far as chiefs go, I would definitely hands down have to say that uh, Chief Autodres III had the biggest impact on my, uh, not only my career in the fire service and, and maybe we could get into that a little bit later, but as a union officer, he came in Orange County as the fire chief as I was coming in as the union president. So I definitely learned a lot from him. And uh, sometimes the members didn't understand what I was doing, um, but there was always an end game and uh, I respect his style and uh, he definitely cares about people. And uh, he definitely has earned not only my respect, but I think everybody in the department, as you know, you work here with us as well, um, respected him as a fire chief. Absolutely. Yeah, Seminole County, man, they- uh, They landed a good one. Yeah. <laughs> During your, your career in Orange County, what has, and if you're comfortable talking about it, what has been maybe the greatest challenge in your personal or professional life uh, that you've had to overcome and, and how did you overcome that? So personally, obviously the work life balance was difficult at the very beginning. Uh, when I first became president, I wanted to, or I thought I could solve all the problems, make everybody happy and things like that. And within about two weeks, I found out that management was pulling me left, right, go here, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? And um, after about two weeks, I was, I was born out. And I actually had to step back and rest, take a deep breath and start organizing things um, kind of like we would on a scene or anything or anything else. Over time, I've learned how to delegate a little bit better. Um, so I think that has been the key to this way I can have some time at home with my family. Um, so, uh, you know, that work-life balance definitely, especially with the union, uh, people calling all mornings, evenings, afternoons, and the same with, you know, management, HR, it can get a little taxing on the home life. So learn to surround myself with some good people. And we've like, you know, we've all gone to all the training classes and things like that in the seminars. So now we're pretty much at least at the officer level, we're, we're all pretty equally trained, I'd like to think, and um, able to delegate some of those things um, a little bit better. So, so learning the delegation on that side um, definitely helped with the, with the home life. At work, um, I would have to say, I guess it, it also ties into the union, um, learning that you just can't make everybody happy. Uh, we went through a strong division um, probably about 10, 15 years ago within the union, a lot of infighting um, and things like that. And a lot of hate was going on um, between the members and I came in at the tail end of that. So it, it was very difficult to try and bring everybody together and start, you know, working together and acting as union brothers and sisters again. So that was a, another challenge um, that I had to face. 
And uh, to that, I would just say, you know, time heals wounds. And uh, the only thing you can do is uh, keep doing the best you can. Try and earn the respect of the ones you know you can earn the respect from and realize that no matter what you do, some people, you know, may not like what you do, your style or, or your policy. Um, but if you give it 110%, maybe you can get their respect. What would you say the the main reason for the division early on is just like personal differences or? Uh, I will have to say, and I'll just keep it general. Um, there was always, uh, not always, there were some allegations of, of some union officers doing improper things. Okay. So and maybe just I'll, mistrust kind of thing. Sure. Yep. And I think that spilled out into the membership. Um, and, you know, of course, there's always two sides to the story. And I think a lot of people did not understand really what was going on. And, you know, some people blew things out of proportion that weren't correct. But, uh, you know, that wasn't for me to judge. Just tried to bring everybody back together and um, move on. What has been or what is your most memorable moment in the fire service working out in, in the field? I'm not sure that I have one um, specific moment that is so memorable. I will say that uh, I did really enjoy um, getting promoted to lieutenant. I felt like I had wanted to do that for several years and just didn't take the opportunity to do it. I wasn't sure if I was ready to do it, but I think after being a paramedic and um, for over 10 years at the time, uh, a lot of those things, like you said, you know, we learned scene control and a lot of other things. And I got to the point where I felt like I was ready. And I felt like I definitely didn't want to be one of those people that just was on for the minimum amount of time, made me eligible for the position and then try and take a promotional exam. I wanted to feel comfortable in, in what I was doing, the knowledge that I had um, before I took those steps. Um, some people told me I, I waited a little bit too long and I take that as a compliment, but I'm definitely glad I took the step and I'm comfortable where I'm at right now. Um, I don't really think I have a desire to uh, promote to captain or battalion chief, but as far as memorable things, I would just have to say that all the, all the firefighters that I've worked with, uh, one of my stations is one of the training stations, if you will, we're one of the top 10 busiest stations in the county and we rotate probationary firefighters through. And even though um, my engineer, Scott Thielen and the senior firefighters take on the role of, you know, a lot of the training of the new firefighters, um, I definitely enjoy the camaraderie and the friendship um, that we've built. And, you know, that, I, that seems to spill out into working on, on the scenes and working seamlessly through, you know, the hectic calls like the extrications and the house fires and things like that. Uh, the better bonds that we've created at the fire station have definitely led to better performance on the, on the scenes. And so I, I would have to say that as working with the, all those firefighters that have come through the station and just working with them on the scenes and, and just having the scenes run pretty smoothly has made my life a lot easier as a Lieutenant. What goals have you set for yourself in, in the fire service and in, in your uh, professional career, maybe even including uh, the union, um, which 
goals have you accomplished and which goals have you yet to accomplish? And, and maybe talk about how you established a plan to accomplish those goals. And, you know, we all have personal goals, professional goals, but in your time in the fire service, figuring out that balance that you talked about between personal and professional life, there's, I know there is a difficulty in trying to accomplish your goals in both areas at the same time. Now, I'll just, I'll just kind of step back and, and let you uh, digest that question. <laughs> See <laughs> if you can answer it. All right, I'll do my best. Um, let's see, I'll start with union goals, I think. First of all, I, when I got involved in the union, I didn't even know really what the union was about. Um, when I got hired on the department, I was told you need to sign up for the union and absolutely I did. Um, but I really didn't understand what it was about, what, what benefits the union offered and, and those kinds of things. I never had a desire to be the union president. It just kind of fell in my lap. Um, but I will have to say as, so I didn't have those goals to move up the union and the rank structure, um, like other people may have. Um, so that being said, some of the goals that I had for the union were to make the Orange County firefighters have a good reputation, not only in the community, but um, from our peers, our other, the other locals, the other local presidents um, at the state level and at the international level. It's very important to me to be and run this um, organization like a business, to be professional, to look professional and act professional. Um, I think that goes well for representing our members. Specifically, some goals I would have to say, most of those, most of my goals would be in the, at the bargaining table, trying to get the best contract for our members. Uh, I mean, we all have the same equal stake. Uh, we're all still currently employed with the department. You know, to be able to have that kind of, um, I don't want to say power, but for lack of another term, to get things for our members that will shape their, not maybe careers and their uh, financial stability to be able to provide for their families, I think is awesome. And um, we try to put together the uh, best negotiating teams that we can. And a lot of prep goes into that. One of the things that I use to accomplish those goals is to listen to other people and know that number one, I don't know everything. Um, number two, somebody else might have a different point of view and we may be able to get to the same target or achieve that, that specific goal, but we might have a different argument or a different way to present things that can get us that, whatever it is we're asking for. Um, so I would say most, most of the goals that I have for the union are to negotiate the best contracts that we can and represent the people usually in their time of need. And a lot of times that time of need is during dis the discipline process to give them the best representation that we can. I take those things very seriously. Um, and I think it benefits everybody in the long run. 
So those that would be the union side of it. For fire department goals, um, you know, there's the obvious, you know, you, you take a promotion to better yourself and those types of things. But I would say on the fire department side, just to be a, a good leader, um, even though I'm just an entry level uh, leader, to lead by example, you know, and it starts at the firehouse, you know, I try to help out and wash some dishes every now and then, try to help out with station cleanup, try to do those things. Uh, so the firefighters see, you know, that I'm not above that. Um, I know that some other people have difference of opinion on that, but I like to do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm still hands-on, uh, even though I'm not a transporting paramedic anymore. Uh, on the engine, I always try to make sure that we, uh, you know, do the best care that we can for everybody and not wait for that transport unit to come and, and do the advanced life support care. So I like to make sure I do that and uh, every now and then do some reports. And I think uh, by doing those little things, people respect you a little more. Um, so to some of the fire department goals, I would just say um, to be a good leader and to make sure and, and try and pass on some of those things that I've learned along the way, uh, whether it be as a preceptor or as a mentor from one lieutenant to a brand new lieutenant um, to pass those things on. Can you tell me a little bit about your leadership philosophy and maybe how that has developed over time and maybe even uh, throw in a few book recommendations because um, I know you're, you're a reader Maybe don't read as much as you'd like, but um... I think um, when we talk about uh, leadership styles, we grew up under a fire chief that was very, a very um, involved micromanager type um, and very authoritarian, if you will. And over the years, I could see the morale of the department and all the men and women um, decrease. Um, it seemed like when you got to a certain point, you got yelled at, intimidated, and things like that. So I learned early on not to do that. Um, I would say my leadership style is very hands-off, um, and I like to allow everyone to participate in the conversation, if you will. Um, I always tell my firefighters, even to the first day proby, if you see something on scene and you think it's important, tell me, because you may see something that I don't see and it may change a tactic. It may change, you know, um, something that we do, whether we need to call additional units or, you know, deploy different lines or, or whatever, um, or it may be a safety issue. So I always empower um, even the, the probationary firefighters to participate, to be vocal, don't be afraid to say something. Um, and we always critique calls on the way back, um, whether it be a small, you know, uh, a, a routine medical call. Even still, we're always talking about things on the way back. Hey, did you see this? Did you see that? Why do you think we did this? Why do you think we did that? What could we have done better? Um, so definitely getting everybody involved um, and not micromanaging what they do. Uh, 
learned early on that firefighters don't like to be told what to do. Um, so my philosophy has always been, as long as they're getting the job done, then why do I need to tell them how to do it? Um, let them do their thing and they will grow. And if I have to step in and change direction or compliment them, that's important, on the things that they're doing, um, then I'll do that when it's necessary. And I think they respect you a little bit more when, when you have that hands-off approach because it makes when you have to say something a little more important and, and they definitely listen to you. Tell me a little bit about your, your education in the fire service. As I know that you've, you've got uh, some college, you've uh, a lot of technical training. Um, paramedic school is uh, pretty, what is it, year and a half, two years now. So uh, give, me, give me a little bit of uh, background on your, your education. So I probably have uh, several hundred hours of, of college credits that I have not taken the time to match up and, and make into a degree. <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to do that, but I get so busy, I guess it falls by the wayside, and uh, that's unfortunate. Um, but I have taken a lot of technical classes uh, when I was younger and in Pahokee, um, you know, I... I uh, took the uh, driver operator courses. Uh, there was a lot of farmland out there. So I took some uh, farming technical classes. Farm medic was one of them. Uh, some machinery classes to learn how to take apart the, uh, and that was also a part of farm medic was learning how to take apart the big machinery that our tools couldn't cut and, uh, and spread. So um, I uh, also took my fire inspector series while I was down there. So a lot of things happened when I was younger. Uh, then came up here to Orange County and uh, like, like you said, I became a paramedic. So I took that, those classes. And uh, just along the way, since then, most early on, most of my classes were on the fire side, the technical side, you know, building collapse and some of the haz hazmat classes and things like that. And later on in life has been a lot of leadership seminars um, and everything provided by the international, all the classes that they give us on, you know, how to be a good steward, how to be a good secretary, how to be a good, you know, your roles and responsibilities through all those positions, including the, uh, the president, uh, introductory law classes um, into the labor law aspects, which is very helpful in a lot of things that we deal with. So I would say early on, a lot of fire classes and technical classes, and then later on, a lot of uh, uh, leadership and um, basically union type and uh, member representing classes. One thing that I didn't actually uh, touch on that I think is important to point out is how big uh, the local 2057 is. Um, as far as membership and uh, you know the the amount of people that you represent, when I got involved in the union, um, we had roughly about nine hundred members. Uh, today we have a little over uh, or right around twelve hundred members. So we're one of the largest locals in the state. I think we are currently number four. In, in numbers. 
and um, yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely challenging, but we have a 15 member board, which is very helpful. And uh, we also not only cover the rank and file um, and at the operations level, uh, we also cover our battalion chiefs. And uh, we also cover our communications personnel and our fire inspectors. So we, it's a pretty diverse group of individuals and with a 15 member board. Although that sounds like a lot, and we are one of the largest boards also in the in the state, um, we we are very busy all the time. So that's why I'm here on a Saturday talking with you. <laughs> I'm like, that's about the time that I have. <laughs> now, one thing that uh, I think would be beneficial for anybody listening is you and I have talked quite a bit. I mean, we've talked about my personal experiences, um, but I think that your experience representing uh, such a large group of people and even being involved, uh, you know, in Central Florida and at the state level, the the experiences that you've um, either experienced yourself, situations that uh, union members have experienced, mistakes that have been made, um, mm -hmm. personal failures, professional failures, you've been able to see how different people approach uh, mistakes mm -hmm. and how they've overcome them. I'm just curious, what lessons have you learned from seeing this throughout the years? Uh, maybe you could give some specific mm -hmm. examples, but what are, what are some lessons that you've learned that I, that maybe you could share with new firefighters, even, even seasoned uh, veterans of the fire service? I'm going to say definitely the way that you, treat others is is the way that others are going to treat you and there's coming up in the union i there's one particular case that uh that kind of set the the pathway for my beliefs on on how i would like to run things and and how i have run things and and how i deal with things as a union leader mm -hmm. uh early on i was called in to represent somebody who had a tardiness mm -hmm. issue and um, I interviewed him. I got one side of the story. Um, I went into his hearing and uh, was very forward, firm, and probably borderline uh, maybe being insubordinate mm -hmm. if I was working mm -hmm. for the fire department and talking to a chief officer at the time. Uh, of course, the member felt great. Um, I felt great and uh, lost the case. And after a couple of times, that happened like one or two other times, I started thinking um, maybe feeling great isn't the way to be the best representative for the member because I'm not getting the results that I want. So I changed my philosophy and I'm like, okay, let, let me go in here. Let me act professional. Let me 
get both sides of the story so I'm better prepared um, to go into these meetings and, and better uh, represent these uh, members. And it started with building a relationship with management. Um, by having the open dialogue, um, by letting them know what I was thinking, they would tell me what they were thinking um, and that would help me better prepare a case. Um, so, you know, going from that, you know, point finger pointing and, and yelling and, and, and thinking that you were doing the right thing ultimately ended up not being the right thing to do. Um, so that was definitely a lesson learned. Uh, and so I try to instill that in all the newer board members, like, hey, you need to have that open communication with your battalion chief, give them a call even when there's nothing going on to build that relationship up. So when something bad happens, they'll pick up the phone and give you a, either a heads up or, or just a phone call, a, a courtesy call to say, look, um, so-and-so did X, Y, and Z. And you know, that may be something you have to deal with here really soon. Uh, that's pretty important. So that kind of changed the way early on how I decided to do things moving forward. Um, some people mistook that for, uh, or my style for being in bed with management is one thing that I heard back in the day basically working for management and not working for the members. And, you know, my, my inner thoughts were, hey, if they want to think that I'm in bed with management, I'm going to go ahead and let them think that because I'll take the hit to make sure I'm getting what I need for my members. And so I just kind of, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind. And I think over the years, people have seen now that a good working relationship between labor and management yields a lot better benefits and, and things like that to the members in general. So, and it also improves morale. I've noticed, you know, when, when the union and the, the chief get along, uh, a lot of good things can happen and that makes a lot of people happy. Uh, if the union and, and the chief don't really get along, uh, then there's always pushback or push down, depending on which side you're on the members see that and then the morale goes down. So we go through these ups and downs depending on the relationships between the union and management. And that's another thing that I've learned. So, um, and that plays a big role in, in why I do things as a leader and why I don't do things as a leader anymore. So those are some of the things that I've learned along the way. As far as examples of, well, you know, you, you represent individuals that are facing uh, disciplinary action. What are, what are maybe some of the more common things that you've seen and, and uh, that just through, through your like, experience, the lessons that, that maybe you could pass on to some of the, the newer firefighters, newer fire officers, and even, even chief officers? One of the things that people don't realize is when you are in the fire service or you are working for government, you have to have an equal positive behavior outside of the workplace as you do at work. 
Um, a lot of the things that we see our younger members um, get in trouble for, besides the typical tardiness or, um, you know, uh, are things that are in their home life. Uh, DUIs are a lot. Um, some, you know, even in, and when people are in orientation, we've had some people, you know, come to work and not ready to work. And that's, that's a real big problem. Um, domestic issues. Um, sometimes we deal with and see a lot of stressful things um, in the fire service. Um, as we know, you know, PTSD and, and suicides and things like that are very common, unfortunately. Um, but now we're learning to recognize those things. And uh, so, um, but those things do cause problems at home as well. Um, so we see a lot of our people get in trouble for domestic issues. Um, Work-related issues, um, sometimes, you know, the occasional insubordination. Here lately, some types of uh, different types of harassment, um, you know, can't do the hazing and things like that that used to happen 20 years ago or, or longer. And so sometimes some some people get themselves in a pickle by uh, not treating the uh, younger firefighters um, professionally. Um, so I have to say some of that. Nothing specifically jumping out except to say that just when we think we've seen or heard it all, somebody surprises us. Um, and, you know, we've had a, a couple of uh, a, a recent arrest, I would say, um, of something. Uh, somebody doing something illegal or they had some several felony charges. So, um, and um, then, you know, with the current events going on, um, we've seen somebody at a, at a department here in Central Florida participate in some things that were pretty surprising. You know, they may not realize that their off-duty conduct is going to definitely affect their uh, careers, you know, and, and some people need to uh, make sure that, you know, they're not mistaking their their First Amendment rights or or constitutional rights for workplace rights because the two are actually pretty different. You may have freedoms of speeches and things like that outside of work, but when you're at work or you're a government employee, you are limited in certain aspects on what you can say and what you can do. Um, so we we definitely have to deal with those types of situations. I will say in, in all situations, the main goal is at the end of the day, most of the time, somebody has done something wrong. And our main goal is to make sure that number one, they receive the appropriate discipline. And number two, that mm -hmm. that member gets treated equally and fairly as compared to another member who may have done the same thing. And that's basically what our representation comes down to. That's the main philosophy that I live behind and that we teach our board members. You know, you want to be treated equally and fairly and did management issue the appropriate discipline? That's where we're at on most of our cases. What advice would you pass on or what lessons learned through, you know, being witness to the, the different the different things that fire service personnel get have gotten in trouble for. What are some things that could have been avoided had they known this? 
I would say, and I don't know the exact percentage, but I, but I've always said this. 90% of the time, you don't even really know. You don't really have to know what you're doing. And I, I follow that up by saying, if you have a good conscience and you do the right, what you think is the right thing to do, 90% of the time, you will be just fine. That 10% of the time, you have to know some technicality on either, you know, whether it's a paramedic skill, whether it's a firefighting skill, um, you know, and all those other things that we've learned throughout, um, you know, our careers and depending on what classes you've taken. But that 90 percentile, I would say, if you do the right thing, most of the time you will never get in trouble. If you treat people nice, you won't get complaints um, and things like that. So that's that's a general uh, piece of advice that that I usually give, but I think it's probably one of the best um, things that I came up with to teach people like, hey, yeah, that, that's all great. You could be the best paramedic, but if you treat your patients like crap or you don't give them the proper treatment or take them to the proper hospital, it doesn't matter that you're the best paramedic in the world, right? Um, and the same, you know, you could be the best chief, but you treat people like crap and, you know, or you treat your employees like crap and, you know, things like that, you're not going to last long in the fire service. And so, you know, like I said, 90%, if you do what's right 90% of the time and you're nice to people, you'll last a long time in this, in this career. And you touched on something that a lot of the, the, a lot of the discipline that comes down is, is actually behavior that occurs outside of working hours. Things that we, you know, you, know, you touched on it, the PTSD or even just um, the stresses of the job, the things that we've witnessed, it can affect us in different ways and lead to interactions with people in our family, with our friends, with uh people out in public, you know, I, I know, well, you and I both have uh, enjoyed drinks with fellow firefighters downtown. And we all know those guys that drink a little much and can get a little boisterous and out of hand. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, I, I, Especially early on, I don't want to be a hypocrite, but you know, I, I would probably have to say that I've definitely experienced my share of uh, of drinking too much and uh, doing things that I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been doing. And I consider myself very lucky. Um, some people have not been very lucky, mm -hmm. and I'm just glad that I've made it past those phases in my life. And uh, you know, now definitely, you know, through age and you know, wisdom and and maturity have been able to overcome some of those things. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we try to tell people in when, when they're coming into the fire service, you know, these days, there's no reason to try and drive home. You know, it's not just about taxis. You have Uber, you have Lyft, you have all these resources available where you don't need that uh, to put yourself in that kind of position um, if drinking is an issue. Um, and, you know, just to be careful and, and uh, stay out of trouble in general. Um, 
we tell our people when we have an orientation class of 40 to 50 people that we're going to see five of them before the year is up. And, and that's about right. Uh, we definitely see five of them in a where they don't really want to see us, but they're thankful that we're there to represent them um, type situation. And, uh, you know, some people don't get a second chance when it comes to the career. But at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that, like I said, everybody gets treated equally and fairly. So, well, I would imagine it would help help out union representation if uh, if self leadership was a little better. Uh, I know that as a young firefighter, I wasn't the best at making sound decisions in my in my personal life. You know. Uh, you. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Nobody's perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. And but I think if we learn from those lessons, you know, in a positive way, and, and then we can teach these younger guys the same thing, like, yeah, I, I've been there before, I've done that before, and, and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. If you continue to do that, this is where you're going to be, um, you know. And, and the same with, let's say, for example, um, retirement savings. When I started going to union meetings early on, the old retired guys would come back and say, oh my gosh, I I wasn't prepared. I'm not prepared. I don't have enough. Or, you know, if somebody would have told me early on to start saving, you know, it's it's easier to save over 25 or 30 years than it is to, you know, save in one or two years when you check in with your financial advisor to see if you have enough money or not. I, I always try to tell those things to the young people. So this way, at least they can't say nobody told them, you know. I actually just interviewed a retired Navy SEAL and we, um, we talked a little bit about the, the three things that have been the downfall uh, of many a great people. And it's booze, bucks, and... Um, well, I'll use different terminology. So liquor, finances, and members of uh, the, the sex that most attract us. So women, men, whatever. Uh, when, when you're chasing any of those three, you can, you can get yourself into some trouble. And sometimes it's a combination of them. <laughs> I would definitely have to agree with that. <laughs> So yeah, he he said in his experience, um, you know, with the with the finances, getting into debt or gambling, that sort of thing, that can put people, and then that adds stress, that can uh, lead to to drinking, poor relationships. So if you if you can learn early on how to manage your your stress. Uh, manage your finances, manage your drinking, manage your relationships, you'll be better off. Yeah. And and as I think about it, a lot of the cases that we have definitely involve at least one of those, if not more uh, (laughs) with our members. So it's, I don't want to say it's ironic, but it's definitely true to the point so far that I can think of, at least through my experience. Now, what what advice would you give to uh, an aspiring firefighter, uh, a firefighter or um, engineer that's 
looking to promote and maybe fire officer or chief officer that's looking to be a, a better leader? Um, I would have to say whatever it is you decide to do, uh, give it 110% and do the best you can at it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like we've lost some of that. I think um, within our department, we were such a young department that people just want to, they just want to move up as fast as they can. Um, and we lose a lot of that leadership, if you will, because um, people are not really interested in the position. They're just interested in moving up. They're not interested in giving back to the fire service what they got out of it. Um, so definitely give it 110% and, um, and do the best you can. When you do that, a lot of the other things fall into place. You know, respect, um, you respecting others, others respecting you, uh, happiness. Um, you know, if you put into it what you're, what you're getting out of it and vice versa, uh, you're going to be generally a happier person, you know, and all those things, uh, positive things create positive environments around you, whether it be the station, the department, union hall, um, and things like that. So it, it's almost like a domino effect, but definitely whatever path you decide to take, whether it be, you know, the labor side on union, um, or working your way up through, um, the fire department or staying as a paramedic. There's still other avenues like preceptor EMS department and things like that, or going to the training department and having a bit bigger influence on other people. Give it 110%, you know, mm -hmm. take it seriously and, um, and enjoy yourself. Uh, I will say, you know, our, our training department has transformed. I maybe over the last six or eight years, uh, before, that time frame everybody used to hate going down to training and doing quarterly drills it was always the same old thing boring you know not really learning anything new and i'll say with probably within the last six or eight years we've had several people that have been put down there that are just pretty awesome and i'll say that even though you know, some people don't like to go down for the full day of, of, of quarterly training or whatnot, um, but they're respecting the fact that, hey, these guys at training are putting together some really good, you know, exercises. Um, mm -hmm. They're innovative. Um, they're bringing in ideas from other places, and it's definitely making a, a good morale boost. And what happens? We're all benefiting from it. People are happier. They're, they're learning more. Um, they're producing better on scenes. So like I said, it's a domino effect because those guys at the training department are given it 110% and they're taking it seriously. On the union side of things, what would you say to uh, those in the, in the fire service that are debating whether or not they should join the union? Well, you know, my personal opinion on that is everybody should join the union, no matter what, even if you don't really understand what the union is about, you can always learn along the way. I mean, how many people join the fire service and really know what the fire service is really about or what the job entails? You really never know what you're going to see on scenes and things like that until you actually see those things. Um, so the same thing with the union. Um, join even if you don't understand what it's about, you can learn later. 
uh, you definitely want to make sure that you're covered um, as far as representation goes or anything like that. And, you know, the more you're involved in the union, um, the more you get out of it. Uh, you know, it's not just a lot of people think the union is just the people that are working for the union, you know, whether it be the officers or the e-board. And, it, and it's kind of like a, a slang term, I guess, if you will. But every member has an equal say. And we try to let everybody know when you come in this building, I'm not Lieutenant Andre Perez and and my vice president's not Captain Paul Riccardi or uh, Lieutenant Michael Siena. We're, we don't even say, you know, hey, president this, or hey, you know, vice president that. It's, hey, brother, what's going on? So uh, it's a brotherhood on top of, you know, the representation and that type of stuff. I consider that the business of the union, but it's truly a brotherhood. Uh, we try to do activities to, um, to uh, bring us together. And that I believe makes us stronger. I guess I'm just so passionate about, you know, being in the union that I just can't picture and don't understand why people decide not to be in the union. If you care about other people and care about the well-being of other people, those are some of the things that the union, uh, some of the tasks the union takes on. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we have our department offers, um, you know, critical incident stress and some of those types of programs. And lately we've had a couple of people fall through the cracks and believe it or not, there's a segment of our people who were union members who have fallen through the cracks and those are retirees. So here locally, we're looking at taking on some of those um, roles and responsibilities to take care of our people. Um, I mean, in the workplace, do we really uh, think management is going to take care of us? That's not really their job. Their job is to make sure that the citizens are taken care of and they use us to do that. I think it's the union's job to take care of, we're supposed to take care of one another. And that's another reason why I would uh, suggest that people uh, join the union. We, we try to take care of each other in times of need, family crisis, aside from the workplace issues and, and disciplines and those types of things, it really comes down to we're, we're the family. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to definitely try and um, move that forward with making sure that we're trying to fill these cracks and holes uh, that we're learning about and see if we can do a better job in taking care of our family. Um, and so, I invite everybody to become a part of our family. And that's what we do when we bring them into our orientation. Well, I think, and this is one of the things that, that I've noticed throughout my time in the fire service and being involved with the union, that a big reason why some individuals don't join the union right out of the gate is because there's this idea of the union being a political body, uh, you know, supporting typically Democrats, that sort of thing. If, if somebody's uh, political beliefs are more conservative and they vote Republican 
100% of the time, they don't understand why the union supports liberal candidates over conservative candidates. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the politics uh, and maybe some of the history of unions and why that is. Sure. Um, historically, um, the labor movement has been supported by Democrats and the liberal side. So I grew up with that type of mentality and I see when judges are being picked and things like that, um, you can tell how the laws are gonna be interpreted to go either for labor or for management or the employer. Um, so that, that was instilled to me early on. Uh, Growing up here in, in Central Florida and in through the union, um, obviously we're government employees and our bosses are basically governed by our county commission. So, um, you know, government employees have government officials making the decisions for their livelihoods basically is what it comes down to. So being politically involved is like a double-edged sword. You know, some people don't want us to be involved because if we pick wrong candidates, you know, they, you know, may make decisions against us. If we're lucky to pick the right candidates, maybe they might not give us everything we want. So they, they look at them negatively as well. Um, but I look at it like this. First of all, um, here, look, we only participate in the state and local elections. We don't, we don't uh, endorse or um or participate actively in the national elections because especially over the last several uh, presidential elections, the membership has been very divided. And so even though I have my personal beliefs, uh, we have a political committee that we've put together. I don't even ask what their political backgrounds are or who they favor or anything like that. The only thing that we ask of them is, can you keep an open mind? And can you pick candidates from, you know, both, um, basically there's two major parties. Um, so that's how we run things here locally. I know that, and, and from hearing our membership that we're pretty divided as far as conservative and, and liberal, uh, just like we're seeing at the national level, the same thing is happening here with, with our members. So we also have to be very careful with that. Uh, so when we do make our endorsements, I always make sure that we put what party you know that the candidate is from um, and the reasons why these candidates were selected we've had some people you know attack our decision making stating that while well, we're just union we're liberal um, and that we don't ever support conservative uh, candidates and that we can go back and simply prove that that's not true so the international association of firefighters even though at the national level they've predominantly endorsed a, a liberal or a democratic candidate for president all across the down ballots they've endorsed across party lines and we can prove that and i think once we show those things and that we're trying to be equal and fair um the membership kind of calms down a little bit and and um looks at the union in a different light um but you know i i guess lately uh, I've been a little vocal in one direction and some members have not been appreciative of that, but at the end of the day, 
the one thing that I make sure is to tell them at the end of the day, if you need union representation, do you think I can do the job for you? And I don't, I don't mean to come across as uh, overly confident, but I, I like to think as myself as a, uh, or of myself as a, one of the best representatives as far as, you know, if you need a, a, a grievance or anything like that, um, I think I'm one of the best that we have. And you have, I have to think that way because um, if I don't, I don't think I'm doing a good um, service or providing a good service to our members. But politics is, uh, is definitely um, important. This last contract negotiations was probably the most evident. Um, we had, I'll just keep it in, in general language. We've, we had a very difficult negotiation. Um, we had some attacks from the management side on our contract that we hadn't seen in many years. And if it wasn't for the support of the commissioners, uh, the majority support of the commissioners, uh, we wouldn't have been able to protect some of our benefits and uh, we wouldn't have been able to earn some of the um, benefits that we received. So um, when people see that, when our members see that, then they understand, at least at the local level, because it definitely impacts them directly, right? They can see that. Uh, then they believe and understand why we, why we um, need to participate and um, mm -hmm. why we participate. And they actually got to see some results. Um, at the national level, it's a different story. Um, it is so volatile with our membership. Like I said, it, we're seeing the same things across the country that we're seeing with our membership that uh, I believe it's just better for us not to endorse as a local. We stay neutral and this way we don't have to deal with some of those you know, external things. As a member of the local, we are members of the, the national. Another thing people also don't realize is our dues don't go towards the national politics. You cannot use dues for the presidential endorsement. That is only done by personal donations. So if I donated personally out of my own pocket, um, I could do that, but we cannot take union dues and use them for the national election. So a lot of people don't understand that. And, and that's a little bit of hindrance too, to people joining the union. They feel like, oh, you know, unions are democratic and I don't want my money going to this candidate. Well, it doesn't. So if you can, if we can educate our people like we do in the orientation um, about that, I think it squashes some of their concerns as far as that goes. And that's, that's what I was trying to get, get to. <laughs> So I, I think that will that will help uh, clear up some of the misconceptions for for those listening to this because I I know that I have family across the country that tend to think of unions as some kind of communist body and <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and you know like I said before you know most unions usually lean heavy democratic or liberal and you know the international like i said you can you can look down 
on all the down ballots, governor um, endorsements, um, state houses and, and senates. It, it's a different story across the nation. So um, to, to lump us in that group uh, and, you know, put my personal beliefs aside is just not true. Is there anything that we, we didn't talk about that you think would be important to talk about? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed the journey that, that both paths have taken me, whether it be the, uh, you know, the fireside and, and moving up and becoming a leader as a lieutenant. And, and equally coming up through the union, I've been able to see a lot of different things. Um, I'll say, if you don't ask for things, you're not going to get it. So that, that's one of the things that I've learned um, coming up through both sides. You're not going to get anything if you don't ask for it. Um, the worst that somebody can say is no, you know. I'd like to encourage more people to get involved in the union because there's really, there's really only two ways to be the decision makers in your career. Um, you can either go up through the ranks and become a high level manager, like a battalion chief, uh, assistant chief or deputy chief or, or the fire chief. But those, those positions tend to be limited to a certain degree, right? And you have 1200 people. And as you move up the ranks, there's less and less positions available to promote to. And the competition is a lot more stiff, or you can go the labor side. And you can also have an equally, if not more direct impact because we are decision makers for our members. Um, you know, we meet with the fire chiefs, we bargain with their team. You know, we have our team bargain with their team. And so I would encourage people to, you know, get involved. If you really want to say in, in your career, join the union and become a steward. Um, you know, work for the union in any capacity you can. If not, if, if you don't want to um, commit that much time, then just participate. Bring your family up to the union hall, you know, bring your family to events um, and things like that. Uh, because you will hear in those conversations, there's always some business conversation that happens during, you know, the the fun time family events and things like that and gatherings and uh, things like that. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I would like to see more people get involved in the union and not just be members of the union. And I know that's a problem throughout other departments because uh, when we go to conventions and things like that, we meet with other union leaders and they're like, yeah, you know, we had difficulty getting a quorum, you know, how many, they ask how many people go to your meetings, you know, we only had, you know, 10 or 20 or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's pretty much standard all the way across. People are busy. They like to do other things and, and they may not understand, you know, how fun and it is to be active in the union. Andre, thank you very much for, for agreeing to let me interview you and awesome. thank thanks you for, for having me. Yeah, thank you for everything that you you've done and continue to do for for the local and uh you know for me personally i uh, really appreciate it man thank you it was an honor and uh thank you for having me thank you for listening to this episode of from embers to excellence 
please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.